Waheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Waheguru Ji Ki Fateh. Welcome to the second episode of The Synchronizance. Today it's a perspective post where I'll be sharing my own perspective on certain matters. Basically, today's issue is was advertised last week. Is the upcoming, uh, well I should say the ever-looming global water crisis. Now, according to a United Nations report released only a few years back by 2050, one in five people globally will not have access to drinkable water. Now, let that settle in for a minute. One in five people. Of course, there will be many uh, people sitting out there listening to this thinking, oh, well, look, I live in a very peaceful country where there are no such problems. But the thing is, this will be spread worldwide, all over the globe, pretty much. That's why it's a global crisis. That's why it's termed as a global crisis. Now, the countries most at risk, this will be surprising. The United States of America, we also have Australia, we have India, China, the Middle East, pretty much all over the world, but these will be the foremost countries. <clears throat> now, let's just remember here, I will like to reiterate some facts before we get into the gist of it. The crisis does not mean that water is going to run out, that you know future generations will wonder what this substance water was. Essentially, there will be water, but it will not be drinkable. Now, how did we come to this situation? Mismanagement of a natural resource. <clears throat> Uh, we should have been collating water from the start uh, since the dawn of the 21st century but owing to the fact that our mines were rooted in the past our water infrastructure our residential infrastructure anything we essentially built treated water pretty much as a nuisance and this is what has led to this near disastrous situation coming on to us so let's just try making it a bit more relevant to the Sikhs uh, those who know of our past, uh, the history of our past 30, 40 years, yes, we understand there is a document called the Anandpa Resolution. Now, without uh, deviating into its political aspects and distracting ourselves, what I want to concern myself with is the water issue which it mentions. L leaving aside the, politic uh, the politics again, let's just focus on the more crucial aspect, water. If that water was to come back to us or if that water was to be rerouted and everyone was to use it, we need to consider some things. There is infrastructure conveying that water to and fro. What happens when that infrastructure is demolished? Many countries like the Maldives and even in the Middle East, they've discovered that they have a new problem. Right, you have a water body, you reroute it towards another direction, then you wish to reorient it, you obviously demolish the existing infrastructure. But that infrastructure is constructed out of concrete. Now, when you demolish it, it causes a new problem. Siltation. What is siltation? Siltation is a form of water pollution caused by increased accumulation of sedimentary particles on waterway bottoms. Essentially, it is a mass explosion of sedimentary pollution which strangulates a water-based ecosystem and destroys both water purity and usability. We are basically talking about a pure pristine water resource, a water body, a lake which essentially becomes a sludge. Would you like to drink a sludge? Your lungs wouldn't like it? You wouldn't like it. <clears throat> That's the first issue. This is something we need to consider because siltation is essentially such a dangerous form of pollution, it wipes out a whole ecosystem and if the marine, the water ecosystem is gone, it's not long before desertification sets in. The science behind this is pretty sophisticated, pretty complex. 
And if anyone wants to delve into this further, there are resources available in the form of books, videos, audio, and even lit- uh, even literature uh, accredited to the United Nations and other, uh, you can say, authentic bodies who are dealing with this issue or trying to deal with it. Now, another aspect of this problem which we need to uh, explore again, and this is based on a very intriguing question. Why is water on the verge of running out? Well, first thing first, mismanagement, architectural and infrastructural designs treat water as a nuisance. Air houses are designed keeping one principle in mind. Water is a nuisance. Our roads are designed with this principle in mind. Even the trees we see planted around our walkways, our roads, our pathways, our footpaths, these are all designed and planted with one thing in mind to keep water away. Water essentially falls, is not trapped, it's essentially rerouted towards drains, gutters and whatnot until it is pretty much polluted. Let's just remember one thing, yes there is something called acid rain, but water is not so subject to acidity that it should affect us. By the time water reaches the ground, that acidity is pretty much negated. Essentially that means water falling from the top might be acid, by the time it gets to the ground that should have no potent effect on us, it's pure water, pure crystal water. In India, people harvest water. Uh, People in Punjab and otherwise, they would have heard of tankies. This is a system of water collation which has been ongoing for centuries. Water falling from the sky is pure. It's actually filtered into these tankies and from these uh, ad hoc tanks, it's pretty much used by the entire household. Now, yes, in Punjab, this system was existent up till a few decades back and now it's slowly falling out of favor because people are relying on groundwater, but no. This should not fall out of favor. This is very crucial. And this brings us to the next point in question. What about groundwater? Well, here's the thing about ground groundwater. Aquifers like, let's just take the Oglala aquifer in Texas as example. Texas is the main rooting point of this aquifer. It has been built up over the past 6,000 years. It encompasses the, all the Great Plains. But what took 6,000 years to build up is in danger of running out in the next 40 years. Let that sink in. We are talking about over 180 million people affected by just this one aquifer running out. And let's let's just revert our attention back to the Punjab. Same issues down there. Natural water bodies underground are running out or are being polluted. This fossil water has accumulated over centuries of rainfall. And we humans are pretty much wasting it in a matter of decades. So that's another issue we will just uh, explore further as we get to it. Now, why is water on the verge of running out? There are other issues as well. There is mismanagement, which we have discussed. Then there is corporatization. In 2010, the United Nations declared water as a human right, a critical human right. Water bottling companies, water corporations, essentially businesses which uh, make a living of transporting and rerouting water, they reacted so aggressively that a few months later the United Nations had to resend back on this declaration. It had to take back what it had announced. So essentially there is human greed involved in this as well. And then there is the centralization policy that, you know, some government, some nations feel compelled to centralize their water resources. Is this policy viable or wise? Well, from one perspective, we are saying yes, it can be wise, you know, central allocation, central distribution makes many things easy. But on the other hand, we are messing with nature to quite a critical degree. 
Now, given human vice, human avarice, if there is a warlike situation, centralization might become the very thing which defeats us, cause one crucial critical targeted offensive against a centralized water resource, and you can bring a whole nation down to its knees. That's that. Now, back to the aquifers and risk of running out. They are not recharged as fast as they are depleted. Now, let's just talk about agriculture and horticultural practices here. Punjab is mainly an agricultural society. Agriculture has never been advanced in terms of ecological conservation. We need to remember that most of the advances made in agriculture are technological, but they're never conservative. They never focus on the ecological and environmental effect which the practice has. Water being taken out, water being used on plants is essentially a deficit. Now, how I'm getting to this is that that water is actually used without any being reinvested back into the environment. Now, of course, naturally plants use water and we have photosynthesis and other uh, chains of uh, natural, uh, you can say, biological processes. But when all this water is actually used in mass production, that's where the problem is. We are essentially wasting more water than nature needs. So what can we do about this? Well, one situation is to cut down on agriculture in terms of labor, in terms of emphasis, in terms of economical want. Now, this last one, economical want, the way this works is that we make people self-sufficient. Now, this might sound harsh, but if people start harvesting their own water like they do in Nevada and in Las Vegas, where it is a rule now that uh, muni uh, municipally speaking, people need to harvest their own water, new houses need to have that function. Water for agriculture is left over. But that does not mean that the problem goes away. We really need to start thinking up ways to conserve agricultural water, especially the unpolluted bits. And if there are polluted uh, as, uh, elements of that water, we need to start clearing them out quite quickly. <coughs> Now, of course, we can't discuss all this in detail. Anyhow, moving on to the next one. What are the solutions here? Are there any solutions? Well, yes, we have several solutions. Let's just focus on them. Now, the first one is Iolo Water. Iolo Water is a French NGO. Basically, it works in sub-Saharan Africa with all the poverty-stricken villages and countries. It conserves up to 500 to 700 liters of water per day. How does it do this? Through wind turbines. What's happening is that, in, like, let's take the Sahara Desert for example, the winds there are very strong. These winds have no mountains to blockade them. Particles from the Sahara Desert actually end up in the Amazon. It's so, uh, the winds there are so, you can say, Herculean, so strong. Now, what Iolo Water does is that it, it plants wind turbines. Now, these wind turbines gradually collect the water from the air. So, the air is pretty much captured, if you can... Uh, Imagine that term being used for this process captured and then the water is taken out of it and that water is purified and diverted into many lakes, many dams, which has created a whole new ecological balance in the Sahara and also advanced its economy. Even though this economy is still quite embryonic, quite primitive, it is gradually growing and all this because of water. Now that is Iola water. Then we come to Saudi Arabia. Now this is an interesting concept. The Saudis have a city called Medan. I think that's what it's called. Now, Medan had a critical issue. It was in a desert. The water was being rerouted away. 
it was getting the water back. Now, how to take care of siltation? So, Medan invited all the, well, the Medan's municipality and uh, the Saudi Arabian government invited the world's leading ecological environmentalists and all uh, progressive engineers and scientists to a roundtable conference and they came up with an idea. So, Medan today has a marshland. Now, this is an artificial marshland. Pretty much it's planted with natural plants which are naturally cleaning out all the toxins and the water being returned. So siltation is kept to a minimum. There's a whole thriving new ecosystem down there. New jobs have been created. Agricultural lands has been mitigated. And as I re uh, said before, and I'll write it, write this again, new jobs have been created in this economy. It's a thriving, booming economy and is becoming one of Saudi Arabia's leading cities. And it has changed the ecological balance in the country. Now, Saudi Arabia is on the verge of implementing and installing lakes, rivers, and who knows in the future, maybe, maybe the ecological balance will cha change so much, will be altered so significantly due to Medan that Saudi Arabia might not have its word of voice anymore. It's basically working alongside Qudrat, alongside nature, alongside creation by using our intelligence to alter the existing balance for the better. Now that is in Medan. Now closer, much closer to home in India, North India particularly, the situation down there, the crisis confronting the farmers is quite grim if you look at it from a particular perspective. That is that 67 to 69% of India will be prone to desertification in the next 10 years. Now let's come to Gujarat, Rajas Madhyala village, I think that's how you call it. Now, this village had a very astute Sarpanch or village chief. His name was Hardev Singh Jadeja. Now, Jadeja was born during a time when water was lush in this village. Over time, groundwater tables depleted and the village stopped thriving and the economy suffered rapidly. And this had a social flow-in effect that people stopped marrying with these villages. Basically, they became ostracized and uh, were uh, confined to poverty. Now, Jadija uh, approached an ISRO hydrologist. Now, who, for those of you who don't know what ISRO is, ISRO is the Indian Space Research Organization. This hydrologist mapped pretty much all the rainfall patterns in the region with the help of satellites. <coughs> Excuse me. This allowed Jadija to identify runoffs, where the water was running off to and being wasted. To preserve this water, he started building many dams, many lakes. Over time, 15 years later, this village is refreshing its aquifers. So all the water that is going out of the aquifers is being stored back into the aquifers. Now, how to summarize this effectively? 15% of the water being used in this village, in this region, consists of aquifer that is fossil water. All the rest is derived from the rain, and these aquifers are now in the process of being connected through underground turbines, underground pipes, ensuring that they never run out, that they are always constantly renewed. And what's more, the economical effect has been felt and seen India-wide. Now, this village, at a time when this village was poverty-stricken, no one even knew about this village. Today, this village has an economic value of over 1 million US dollars. And that money is distributed evenly among its residents. And yes, there is a resident category for new people wanting to move into the village. 
furthermore, the village itself pays for the women's education. So there are girls being educated in the village. There are boys being educated in the village. The entire society, the entire culture has been altered for the better just due to one man's effort to preserve water. Let that sink in. Now, there's another potent question here which needs to be asked. Well, what about the ocean? What about desalinization? Can't we do that? Well, here's the thing. You take salt out of the water, you're messing up the ocean's ecosystem. When you mess that up, there is more pollution. So it's a self-defeating cycle which essentially gets us nowhere. Now, let's just take it from a Sikh point of view. Gurbani says, Tertia tera sundar thaan, bigger roop man mein abhiman. Pretty much it says that, oh traveler, you have a very beautiful home this world, but out of avarice, you deform it and you deform yourself. Now, yes, we can say that Vaheguru has created this world. He will look after it. He will not let the, you know, water crisis affect us. Let's just remember one thing. Vaheguru acts through humans. He has given us his greatest attribute, which is his intelligence. We need to use that intelligence to rectify what is a crisis manufactured by us. Now, this also ties in with Seva, Seva for the betterment of humanity. This is a man-made crisis. Each and every one of us in this earth has contributed towards water mismanagement to the degree that one in five of us will not have access to clean water. To write a rate. Yes, there will be water. But it will be so heavily polluted, it will not be drinkable, it, not, it will not be usable for our own internal purposes. We need to be quite, and I can't emphasize this enough, we need to be quite cautious in the future as to how we go about our relationship with water. We need to remember something. Pavan Guru Pani Pita Mata Dhartamahat. There is a ecological three-way ecological balance on this earth. Guru Nanak Dev Ji has given it to us in the concluding stanza of Japji Sahib. We need to preserve Bani Pita. And that's the thing. Water ties in with all the other elements. Water ties in with the earth. Water ties in with the air. If we destroy our water, our global water, just remember that day is not far when even the oxygen will start altering. Now, someone might say, look, these seminal extinction events have happened in the past. Yes, they have. But at that time, evolution was our friend. Today, in this period, which we call the Anthropocene period, which is where man has uh, evolved to quite a high degree, we are actually making these changes. We are performing these alterations without understanding their effect or taking the time to step back and study their effects. Let's just remember that we are hurtling on a train towards our own doom, but that doom is, our, is of our own making. Can we rectify it? Yes, we can. As Sikhs, we have an ecological duty alongside a religious duty towards the environment. This doesn't mean we are tree huggers. Now, look at the lives of the Gurus. The Gurus struck a very potent ecological balance during their lifetimes. Uh, Guru Nanak Dev Ji pretty much introduced innovative agricultural practices. Let's just take the example of Guru Arjan Dev Ji, Jaliyawala Bagh, where, uh, you know, routinely new seedlings were planted to provide abundant and never-ending source of firewood for the langar ovens. Then we had, you know, the pull around the bar sub itself. That pull was actually used by uh, quite a lot of the populace living around the bar sub for many purposes. 
and it had its own uh, what passed for contemporary filters and anti-pollutants at the time. So we do have a very uh, profound relationship with our environment, especially water, and it transcends the aesthetic dimension we use it for. On the other hand, let's just not consider ourselves to be so progressive, so modernist, so industrialized that we forget the basics. Water is needed to empower humanity. Quite a lot of our body consists of water. We cannot subsist without water. We need water. And to this end, Pani Pitha is today in danger and we, Pani Pitha's children, need to step up to the fore and protect it. Other than that, this was the issue which we were covering today. Now, I've just received a question on Facebook that there, are, there is an audience listening to this live. They will like more information on this. Now, because this is quite a short segment of a podcast, we can't cover anything, like everything on this or anything for that matter. There are routine podcasts and even whole libraries dedicated to this issue. But to get you started, there is a very interesting book, One Drop at a Time by Terry J. McMains. That is quite an interesting book. Mr. McMains has actually designed a astroturfs field stadiums where up to 25,000 liter, liters of water is preserved every rainfall. Let's just remember that when water hits the ground, concrete and rubber contaminated. If we start using different materials and design our gutters more effectively, we will be preserving that water for reuse. So there's that book and there's another book by Gaia Wentz who's a scientific writer which is called Adventures in the Anthropocene. As for the Punjab situation, as we said last time, yes, Sikhs living in the West need to convey these technological and scientific findings to the people in the Punjab. And this can only happen if everyone is on the same brainwave, same vision, they share the same vision, and they all share the same sense of unity that yes, we need to preserve our water supply or find new supplies of water. We can do this, people. Let's not forget that humans have transcended and defeated greater obstacles in the past. But let's also not forget that civilizations have collapsed due to a lack of water. Will our present civilization collapse? Let's, as Sikhs, not allow that to happen. Other than that, we are always interested in hearing your opinion. You can contact us via the Anchor FM message option or you can contact us via Facebook. Thank you to everyone for listening to our uh, initial podcast. We had quite a lot of positive feedback from the listeners. Uh, to break down the statistics, over 80% were from Canada. And then we had the US market open up to us on Monday. So that is soaring as well on the old podcast. We have people from India. We have people from New Zealand, people from Australia, people from the UK. And now we are having people from Malaysia and Singapore. Thank you very much. Waigrujika Khalsa, Waigrujiki Fateh.